for joining me for the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm your host, Howie Jacobson. A food system based on eating plants is all things being equal, much more kind to the environment and efficient and just than one based on animal agriculture. That said, there's still a lot of room for improvement, from improving how we farm to be more regenerative and to use less pesticide and to have uh, you know, ecosystems that flourish rather than monocrops. And another thing is there's a lot of waste in our food system, even the plant-based, whole food plant-based system. Take, for example, something like tofu, which is pretty much a staple for a lot of uh, plant eaters. And when you make tofu, there is a ton of stuff left over that isn't tofu. I've made tofu at home, and this um, this giant pile of, looks sort of like uh, grits or dried out scrambled egg bits called okara. Um, not much you can do with that. Um, you know, you can add a whole bunch of flavorings and, and make burgers from it. They're not nearly, you know, as convincing as Impossible and Beyond Burgers. And they're not as tasty. They're not as good for you as like, you know, bean and rice burgers. So that's where today's guest enters the conversation. Caroline Cotto is a co-founder of Renewal Mills, which looks to take what is waste products from a lot of plant-based food production and upcycle it to reuse it again to, to either make things themselves like uh, cookie mixes or to partner with um, food manufacturers to reuse it to take those ingredients and give them a second life so they don't end up at best as compost or at worst in the landfill. So let's hear about the origins of this idea and where it's going now and how you can participate in the upcycling of food. Without further ado, Caroline Cotto, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Super excited to be here. Yeah, I've never talked about this before. We're going to talk about like upcycling food, right? That's right. Yeah, it's a hot trend right now. Yeah, and I had never heard of it until I, I, I came across uh, your company. Why don't you tell us about Renewal Mill and, and like the basics of what, what you do? Absolutely. So Renewal Mill is a, an upcycled food company that's trying to fight climate change by reducing food waste, which is actually one of the largest drivers of, of climate change. So what we do is we take the, the leftover byproducts from food manufacturing and upcycle them into premium ingredients and finished plant-based products. So what that looks like in practice is um, we're taking the pulps, the nutritious pulps left over when you make plant-based milk, like soy milk and oat milk, um, and dehydrating it and milling it into high-fiber, high-protein, gluten-free flours. Um, and then we use those flours in a line of vegan baking mixes and ready-to-eat cookies. Gotcha. So let's let's unpack the first statement, which is, Food waste is one of the biggest contributors to climate change. Can you draw, draw the line for us? Yeah. So when you, you know, waste food, you waste all of the resources that went into growing that food. So that's the water, the land, um, you know, the fertilizers. And, and that's a pretty significant um, amount of, of resource waste. And then on the, the back end, when we waste food and it ends up in a landfill, um, it releases harmful greenhouse gases into the environment. Um, and so the statistic right now is that about 30% of food globally goes to waste. And in the U.S., that's closer to 40%. 
And if we were to count up all of the greenhouse gas emissions emitted from food waste, um, it would be like the third largest emitter of greenhouse gases behind only China and the U.S. Wow. Now, when I think of food waste, I think of, you know, the sad bag of carrots in my fridge that I didn't eat. And then I, oh, I'm so sorry. But I don't think of a byproduct of something else. Like, um, I, you know, my, my own experience with this, my kids were little, I was, very, very much. into I think to uh, your co-founder's story, I had, we had this Omega juicer mm. and, and I made the carrot juice and I had all this pulp left over and I, I would like put it through three or four times, but there was still all this pulp. I was like, I'm going to make a cake. Yeah. And I got to tell you, that was the worst cake in the history of cake. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That is very akin to, to how we got our start. So my co-founder, Claire, um, she founded Boston's first organic juice company and was just kind of appalled, frankly, at the amount of pulp going to waste through that process. She similarly tried making muffins or crackers with it, but there was just too much to deal with. And uh, so she was like, there, there has to be a better way. And then we had a fortuitous meeting with the owner of one of the largest artisanal tofu companies in the country. And he was like, you think you make a lot of waste in your you know, tiny juicing business? I'm making tons and tons of pulp waste at my manufacturing facility. And we quickly realized that this, this was not a problem that was you know, just happening in small juicing businesses, but it's happening at all different parts of manufacturing um, across the supply chain, across different food products. Um, and yeah, it's a, a huge opportunity because a lot of it is the byproducts are just arbitrarily labeled as waste. Like they're perfectly food safe. They're full of nutrients. In fact, we're often processing out the most nutritious part of our food. And so what we're trying to do is really just keep all of that nutrition in the supply chain. So where, where does it go now? Where does, where did Tofu Man send his, his uh, byproduct? It definitely depends on each producer. Um, so some producers, if they're lucky enough to be close to farmers, can have farmers come pick it up for animal feed. Um, but for other producers who are not close to animal agriculture, um, it often either goes to land spreading or directly to landfill. Um, and even if you are having a farmer come pick it up, it's often a very inconsistent offtake solution. So if the price of a premium animal feed goes down, then the farmer won't come pick it up. Um, and these byproducts, the ones that we're dealing with, they're extremely heavy to transport because they're majority water when they come off the processing line and they start spoiling within the first four hours. So you really need to deal with them quite quickly. Otherwise you have a pretty smelly situation on your hands. Wow, and I'm thinking about my, my audience who are ethical vegans who may not realize that their, their favorite tofu is cheaper because it's subsidizing, it's being subsidized by pig farming, right? Yeah, yeah, I think it's a, it's not something that comes to mind immediately. Um, it's, you know, oftentimes they do have to pay to have it trucked away to landfill. And so we're offering them a solution that's not only better for the environment, but is, you know, an entirely vegan solution and keeping that food in the human supply chain and um, directed for human consumption. Right. I, I mean, I would think, you know, like when I think about, I, I don't know anything about it, but I think like, you know, the meat factory, like where does like dog food <laughs> or sausage or the things that are sort of the, you know, the bottom feeders of our, of our meat-based supply chain. The people have been doing this for a long time. It's not a new idea to take a less than premium part of a food and then turn it into something else. 
Absolutely. Yeah. We, you know, are, are under no guise that upcycling is, is definitely not a new concept. You know, your grandma was probably upcycling. Any chef who's good at their job is, is upcycling and making sure that you're using a hundred percent of your input. Um, and I think, you know, meat is definitely somewhere where the, the input is very expensive. And so people have for a long time been thinking about how do I, you know, get the most value out of this product. Mm-hmm. Um, so the EPA has a hierarchy of use of the ways to use food that is the um, you know least impactful on the environment. And the first thing on that reduction hierarchy is is to source reduction to prevent food waste from or food from ever going to waste. And then second is to make sure that it goes to human consumption. Then after that, animal consumption. Then after that, compost and and so on, and so on down the line. So um, wherever possible, trying to to elevate it to the highest uses the most important thing. So when I think about um, like my own experience now, it's okay, I peeled all the onions and potatoes and I have the carrot tops and the celery leaves and I'm gonna like make stock and mm-hmm. what a pain in the butt. And I got, you know, like I have to get enough and maybe freeze it and then I've got all this stock. That's simple compared mm-hmm. to like, you're looking at this problem like mostly water, really hard to transport, spoils within four hours, who goes, who looks at that and goes, oh, let's solve that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's a huge headache for manufacturers, right? Like our first partner was using a significant portion of their factory floor space to house byproducts before disposal. And, you know, they were, you know, throwing out about 60% of the total soybean mass that they brought into the facility to start with. So it's an economic loss. It's not good for sustainability. And, um, it's just a pain, pain to deal with. So um, I think, you know, the scale is really what makes it an interesting problem, because like I said, most of the things that we're processing out are the most nutritious part. So it's all of this fiber and protein that can be kept in our food. Um, It's also, you know, from a food safety perspective, it's, there's nothing wrong with it. So what we do to kind of try to mitigate those challenges is reduce the time it comes off of the processing line to the time that it's shelf stable. So we're immediately dehydrating it and milling it so that we're able to um, kind of reduce that overall volume um, by taking out the water and then um, immediately turn it into an ingredient that has like an 18 month shelf life. So are you like installing machinery in the processing plants of your partners? That's correct. Yeah. So we're using a a co-location model to avoid having to transport these products to a centralized processing facility because we want to avoid that carbon footprint. And uh, the co-location model allows us to do this. So as soon as it comes off the processing line, it immediately gets turned into the the upcycled ingredient. Mm -hmm. And are you working with like lots of different like uh, artisanal tofu manufacturers or like the big ones? I don't know, Eden or or white, what was it? White Oak or? Yeah, we started with um, started with tofu producers. So we have currently um, one tofu producer in Oakland, Hodo Foods, and then we work with um, a, a soy milk producer actually in Minnesota. Um, and then, as I said, we brought on a second ingredient, which was oat milk byproduct, and uh, we're also working with an oat milk producer in the Midwest for that. Uh-huh. So right now you have like the three locations. Yeah. And we're going to be adding more as we kind of grow our ingredient portfolio and add new ingredients as well as um, expand our supply of our existing ingredients. Okay. And when you went to your first customer, like, was it an easy sell or were there objections? 
Um, definitely with our first ingredient, which is called okara flour. Um, it's an unknown ingredient to most folks, um, unless you kind of grew up in East Asia and are familiar with it. Um, you know, it takes quite a bit of education. And uh, when we started this about five years ago, upcycled food was very much not on people's radar. I think as people have seen the real, like firsthand effects of climate change and have kind of become aware that food waste is a problem, um, the conversation has started to come more into the mainstream. And so people are more amenable to talking about like this, this whole um, movement that we're trying to build around upcycled food. But there is definitely still uh, a significant education piece, especially where, when we're talking to like R&D folks. How do you use this ingredient? It's actually like similar to a coconut flour. So it has about 66% fiber and 20% protein. And that protein is a complete protein because it's coming from a legume, but it's definitely not a one-for-one replacement for all-purpose flour. So there's, there is a bit of education that, that comes along with it. Mm-hmm. But what, what about the, you know, the, the processor that you're getting the upcycled ingredients from and you say, hey, we're going to put something in your factory. And like, you know, they, you're, I assume you're, you're renting the space, you're paying them for their product. Was it like a no brainer for them or did, were there like... Uh, like I said, it's a huge headache for them, right? So they're, they've been paying to have this stuff trucked away. It's been taking up significant space in their factory. They have someone whose full-time job is to like shovel it into buckets and, you know, cart it out. So it's a, it's definitely solving a pain point for them. Um, and we say, yeah, basically like we can save you some space in your factory. Like let's work together. Um, we pay for the processing of it. We own the equipment. Um, and then, yeah, we're able to, to turn that waste into revenue. Gotcha. And so when you, you have a line of, of really yummy looking products, like cookies and brownies and brownie mix and flowers and stuff, do, do, do you uh, partner with other companies to make that or, you know, it's under your brand or do you have a factory that makes it? Yeah. So um, we have a split business model. So we're both an ingredients company. And so we're supplying bulk ingredients to other companies to make products with with them. So for example, um, Pulp Pantry is a grain-free chip on the market that uses our Ocara flour. Tia Lupita is a Mexican food brand that uses our Ocara flour in a grain-free tortilla. Um, Fancy Pants Baking Company makes cookies with both of our flours. And so we have that side of the business. And then we also use some of our ingredients um, and work with a co-manufacturer to create our baking mix line and our ready-to-eat cookies. Gotcha. So how did you get into this? I've kind of always joked that I was destined to be in food. Um, my last name means cooked in Italian, and I'm from a town called Sandwich, Massachusetts. <laughs> and uh, I uh, just have always you know, really loved to, to cook and to eat and been fascinated by food. My early career was spent more on the nutrition side of food. So really um, looking at food deserts in Washington, D.C. and um, malnutrition in Cambodia. Um, and then I pivoted into tech for a bit, um, learned a lot, but was ultimately trying to find my way back to food um, and ended up working for um, a startup accelerator that was working on incubating 10 businesses along the food supply chain. And it was being sponsored by Cargill, which is one of the largest ingredients companies in the world. Um, And it was there that I met my co-founder and kind of heard about her firsthand experience in in food waste um, and combined that with my sort of passion for nutrition and finding ways to keep um, affordable nutrition in the supply chain. And 
uh, it was kind of a, a natural fit. And also as an, av an outdoors woman, uh, really care about climate change and the impact that food has as a lever on that. Mm. I'm, I'm, it's interesting to hear about Cargill because like my thought would be like, they're the bad guys. Yeah, um, they definitely are investing in a lot of new technologies, um, new plant-based solutions. They invested in one of the largest pea protein companies in the world. So um, they're, you know, they know that the world is changing and that we have to find more plant-based solutions, that we have to find um, more, you know, climate-friendly alternatives. And so they, for the last this, is, this will be the fourth year they're sponsoring a this startup accelerator in Minnesota to really look at all of these different um, technologies and solutions. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking at the outputs, your, your dehydrated flowers of various kinds, where do you turn for inspiration as to how, what to turn them into? Is it like these old Asian traditions? Is it the last 15 years of the, the gluten-free movement? Yeah, it's a little bit of everything. We're really lucky to have on our team a five-time James Beard Award winner, um, Alice Medrich, who specializes in alternative flowers and chocolate. Um, and so her her last James Beard Award winning cookbook was on flavor flowers and like how do you take gluten-free flowers and make them the hero of different products. And so she's really helped us explore how to use these ingredients in novel ways. Um, you know, all of our, as we're, because we're a plant-based company, all of our products are 100% plant-based and that's really important to us. And so, um, yeah, we definitely, you know, look at East Asian traditions, see what they're doing, draw inspiration from there, but also um, try to really look critically at the market and see the gaps that are missing and how we can fill them. Mm, okay. So I noticed on, uh, I think it was on your Instagram account, there was a picture of uh, one of the investors, a woman, I can't remember her name, off the top of my head, but you, you, got, you got some investment from, from this incubator with help from Cargill, individual investors, they want their money back, right? Is there, do you ever feel, do you feel any sort of tension between like, you know, you're writing about, we are removing more plastic than we're causing. We're, we're not, we're, we're tr transporting things dry to lower down our carbon footprint. It seems like you have a bottom line that far encompasses far more than an economic bottom line. Is there, is there tension there? Um, you know, I think, you know, investors, the ones that we want on our team really share that vision and mission of sustainability and like a triple bottom line approach of like, you know, it's not just about making money. It's about leaving the world better than we found it. Um, and so both we have like one of our earliest investors is a vegan investment fund out of Europe um, and called Beyond Impact. We have a bunch of, um, angel investors that are all really share that mission as well. So I think, you know, there's, the, there's no real tension there. People who are investing us understand that this is, um, you know, a, we're trying to transform the food system and that's really the goal here. Um, and if we make some money along the way, great, but uh, we have a, a larger mission to attend to. Gotcha. Are you still um, in the investment process with, you know, series B or whatever? Yeah, so um, we are definitely always, always be investing, or, uh, you know, raising money, always be raising. So we are definitely looking to start raising um, again in the next few months here, you know, 2020 was a, a year of pivoting for us. So we kind of put our head down and um, have made some, some big strides on that front. And, um, you know, we're hoping to, to get to a level where we can raise the next round of financing. Gotcha. Any instruments for little shots like me, you know, people with, you know, a few hundred, few thousand, or you're only looking for 
Absolutely. Yeah. We ran a um, Republic campaign for equity crowdfunding last November. Um, mm. But we're, yeah, definitely, if it's a, a good mission aligned person, we're always looking for additional angel investment and investors um, of pretty much uh, any check size. Cool. Cool. So um, you did mention on the website about plastic, mm-hmm. right? So there's plastic in your packaging, but you're removing more package, more plastic than you. How, how do you do, do that? Yeah, so definitely as a sustainable brand, you know, uh, we want to have the most sustainable packaging possible. Unfortunately, compostable solutions aren't quite there yet for how long the shelf life of our product is. So for our flowers, we're looking at like an 18 month shelf life and most compostable packaging with resealable zippers um, disintegrates before that shelf life is up. And so we're not able to, at this time, have our packaging be entirely compostable. So what we have as an interim solution is um, we're certified plastic negative, which means that we're funding projects which remove two times as much plastic as we use from the environment. But we're very conscious that this is an interim solution. Um, and so we're constantly reevaluating how we can, can work towards more sustainable packaging options. Mm, gotcha. What about, is there technology to reduce the amount of waste produced by the plant-based milks or the tofu in addition to just sending it to you? It's- yeah. Um, you know, hopefully they're trying to extract as much value as they can out of the initial input. Um, in the case of our first partner, they're using like a very old traditional tofu recipe. And this is kind of how it is called for. Um, so I think they're excited to partner with us to be able to say that, you know, we're using 100% of that input, um, just maybe not in a traditional format. But yeah, there are other producers we're working with that want to um, reincorporate the product back into different products under their own brand once they partner with us. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I think hopefully we're inspiring everyone to look for more efficiency and circularity in their systems across the board. Gotcha. Well, let's, let's, let's talk about the fun part. What, what, what can we eat that you make? Yeah. So um, like I said, we have a line of just add oil and water, vegan, gluten-free um, baking mixes. So we have a dark chocolate brownie, which features our okara flour, a sugar cookie, which also features the okara flour and an oat chocolate chip cookie mix, which um, features the oat milk flour from the oat milk byproduct. Um, we have a line of ready to eat cookies. So a soft baked chocolate chip okara cookie. And we're just about to add a second skew there. So a peanut butter flavor. Um, and that's a, a double pack cookie. And then if you're an adventurous home baker, um, we have the pure flours and, and then a, a cup for cup gluten-free baking flour that you can kind of use in place of all-purpose flour in your favorite recipe. Hmm. And, and where are they available? Um, on our website at renewalmill.com. And then um, our primary markets are California and New York right now for brick and mortar stores, but we're also on a number of e-commerce platforms. So we're on Thrive Market, Imperfect Foods, Amazon, Good Eggs, Fresh Direct, um, most of the main ones there. Gotcha. Are you, are you aiming for Whole Foods or supermarket chains? Yeah. So we're in Whole Foods in Northern California, hoping to expand to more Whole Foods regions soon. And then, um, yeah, we have a, a store locator on our website so you can find the, the closest store to you. We're in most of the popular independent stores in California and uh, the New York City area. Gotcha. Gotcha. So um, where, where do you see your, your company in five years? 
you know, we, like I said, we have this split model. So we're really hoping to be the industry's go-to supplier for upcycled ingredients. So we're hoping to add um, more upcycled ingredients to our portfolio in the coming years. We're already investigating um, sort of like spent grains from uh, beverage processing and um, other like nut and seed cakes from cold pressed oil processing as potential alternative next ingredients. And then um, we also hope to, to grow our retail presence and brand so that we're kind of the, the first option we reach for in the baking aisle, um, the most sustainable option on shelf. Gotcha. You gonna go for breweries? Um, yeah, so there's definitely some companies in the market that are already working on um, spent grain from breweries, but we're uh, looking at, we'd love to keep our line gluten-free. So there's some emerging new um, gluten-free options in that space, which is pretty exciting. Wow. Very, very cool. So where can people find you? Um, yeah. So online at any social media platform, we're at Renewal Mill um, and our website is renewalmill.com. Um, and then, yeah, uh, we're also on LinkedIn. And then for finding our products, um, if you go to our website, there's a, a store locator for kind of all the small independent stores, as well as those um, big e-commerce platforms I mentioned. Gotcha. And the, and the flowers, um, that you mentioned your um, James Beard Award cookbook. Would that would that help people? Yeah. So um, Alice Medrich is the name of the chef. She oh, uh, M E D R I C H Medrich. Okay. Um, her book is called Flavor Flowers. That focuses um, primarily on gluten free flowers. Um, not our upcycled flowers, but we do have recipes from Alice on our website as well um, that kind of show how to use these ingredients in different applications. Awesome. Awesome. Anything you want to tell the world that I haven't asked you about? That you want to share? Um, yeah. So we actually helped found the Upcycled Food Association in 2019. And just a few weeks ago, um, they released to the world a certification. So now products can be certified upcycled. Um, and that's an, a, a unique seal. So very similar to the non-GMO project, um, butterfly seal or the USDA organic stamp. You can now find a certified upcycled seal on a, num a growing number of products, including ours. So hopefully when you're shopping around the grocery store and looking all, all across all aisles, you'll start seeing this certification seal on products. So Hmm. would encourage people to to look for that and and educate friends and family on what that means like when i purchase upcycled food i'm helping reduce food waste which is ultimately helping fight climate change hmm. what does the seal look like um it's kind of like it has up and then it says cycled and it has a green leaf um, and it's a black and white logo so uh, there's kind of ver vertical and horizontal um ones but it's a uh, it's a pretty cool looking seal so Cool. And what, check was, that. what was your goal in starting the organization? Because you're, you're, in a sense, you're incubating competitors, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a trade association. Um, you know, we really knew that general understanding in the public of upcycled foods was quite low and we needed to have sort of a rising boats or rising tides lift all boats mentality um, when it comes to growing this movement. So the, the thought there was that if we work together, we can help sort of do this massive consumer education campaign and make it so that, you know, the average person, person walking down the street understands what upcycled food means and why um, we should be investing in it. Awesome. Well, anything else? Um, no, we're, 
we're super excited to yeah engage with the plant-based community. If people have ideas of uh, what products they would like to see next from us, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, we're just at info at renewalmill.com. I think there's lots of room for innovation in the space and overlap between the upcycled food world and the plant-based world. So um, yeah, super excited to, to work on that. So, so if people want to try the food, if they want to give you suggestions as to what you can do next, and if they want to uh, find out about investing in the next round, renewalmill.com. Absolutely. All right. Well, Caroline Cotto, thank you so much for this amazing work, for the, the vision and the, you know, you're the COO. So that means like you're the one like, like turning all the wheels, right? On the daily basis to keep everything going. Yeah, we're a small team. So it's uh, all hands on deck over here, but uh, trying, trying our best to, to make this vision a reality. All right. Well, I'll let you get back to the upcycles. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for all you do and for taking the time today. Thanks so much, Howie. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. All right. You want to find out more about Renewal Mill and Caroline, you can go to today's show notes, which is at plantyourself.com slash 485. So in movement news, uh, how bad back? I was hoeing last Wednesday and I was down kind of bent over for about an hour. And when I tried to straighten up, I kind of couldn't. So I've had a couple of Cairo visits and I've been trying to do some foam rolling on the uh, IT band for my right leg, also for, you know, for hip and for knee issues. And so it's been a lot of walking this week. No ultimate Frisbee. So a little bit grumpy because of that. We have a tournament coming up this coming weekend, so in five days from today. So I hope I'll be able to play somewhat in preparation for the big tournament down in Sarasota, Florida, first weekend in November. In garden news, um, we've had some rain lately, and the muscadines are probably the last few days for those. They have gotten so delicious. Um, I learned a technique. You don't have to kind of chew on the skin for hours. You can just sort of bite, pop the inside in your mouth, toss the skin, get rid of the pits. They're so delicious. Just uh, really, really sweet. I'm sure they make astoundingly sweet wine. And someone who grew up with uh, Manischewitz Concord grape, this might be right up my alley. Otherwise, in the garden, uh, everything's sort of sitting there where, where I drop the hoe. Um, the, um, the cover crops are, are slowly coming in and covering, and we got a, um, a whole bunch of garlic. So then once I get back on my feet and I can get a couple more beds hoed, we will be doing uh, overwintering garlic, and that's usually ready to harvest around late June. All right, time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Dawn, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenauer.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Rickney Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatterley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Tina Scharf, Tina Ahern, Jen Filkonofsky, David Bizek, The Mysterious Michelle, X. Elsbeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Kelly Cameron, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franz, Jeanette Benham, Gila Sert, David Donahue, Blair Cyborg, Dorona Vizov, Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesner, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, 
Aviva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Val Lineman, Nick Harper, Bandana Chali, Molly Levine, The Inscrutable Harry R., Susan Laverty, The Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Sharon Hirschman, Linda Ayad, Holm Hedegaard, Isa Tuzinwa, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olikoski of Plant Powered for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Marani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Peter W. Evans, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan Picorni, Stephen Leenan, Patty Martino, Mike and Donna Kartz, Deanne Bishop, Billbury Elf, Marjorie Lewis, Trisha Adams, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarit Hagen, Tracy Gulledge, Laura Heaton, Meg from Mama Says, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Paranganchi. Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt, Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught of Edible Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, Danielle Roberts, Michael Lushton, Sarah Johnson, Catherine Floyd, for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for now. As always, be well, my friends. 